We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Good morning, Hope Church. So good to be with you guys on this summer morning. Who is ready for the heat? Come on. 100 degree weather in Montana, nobody's ready for that. We Montanans, we get 80 degrees and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm melting, it's so hot. And people from Florida and Arizona, they're like, you crazy, you crazy. But I'm ready, I, I wore my Hawaiian shirt today just to stay cool. And, uh, but yet I've got a fire inside of me that's burning. I have a very rare and unique opportunity this morning that I don't always get to have. And that is that we just ended our message series called Sculpted. And I have an opportunity to just preach what's on my heart. And, uh, and I love that. Not that our message series, I don't preach what's in my heart, but uh, sometimes it's fun to just let the clutch out, right? And, uh, and, and see where it takes you. And so as I've been really just studying in Ephesians chapter six, there's been a passage of scripture that really just gripped my heart. And uh, we're gonna read that together and get into the word of God. But before we do that, would you do me a favor? Would you help me out this morning and welcome our Hope Church Eureka campus? Hey, we love you guys so much. Jeremy, Sheetal, and crew, we love you guys. We're so excited. By the way, they're doing something really cool, which I am super proud of today. Um, the, the heart of Hope Church in Eureka, really one of the things that God spoke to us when we started the campus there is that that church would be a bridge to reach into the community. And today, after church, they're going out into the community and blessing the community, giving them free pizza in the park. Come on, who doesn't like free stuff? Oh, I forgot. Nobody here likes free stuff. So it, me and Ben, we're the only ones who like free stuff, but everybody else. But it's going to be amazing. We're so proud of you guys. Thank you so much for your hearts, for serving your community. We love you. We bless you. And have a great service. I hope this message blesses you. All those, hey, we want to welcome all of those who are joining us online. We realize that through this whole crazy, weird, wacky last year, that one of the blessings of it was that we recognize that we can reach more people by bringing church to them through this little thing called the internet. Yeah, thank you, Al Gore. Um, we appreciate your blessing to the world besides saving the whales, um, but it's, it's awesome. So we just wanna welcome you for joining us today and our downtown campus, Hope City. We love you guys. We're so blessed by you serving people downtown that are broken, down and out. We love you guys. Dennis and Debbie, we love you. We bless you. All right, let's get into the word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm just going to read a couple of passages starting in verse 18. Last week, um, were you blessed by that message? I hope you were because, uh, man, God just really stirred it in me. Um, and this is funny. A couple, like a week and a half ago, I went uh, with my family, some of my kids, and, and some of my friends. We went to go see a local artist play outdoors. And it was, it was amazing, and some of my friends that went with us, um, at the end of it, it was so good, I was clapping and yelling, encore, encore, encore. I wanted, you know, I wanted to come back out, give us a few more songs. And, um, and somebody, one of my friends that comes to the church, uh, whose name I won't say, they said, how come nobody cheer, ever cheers for you for an encore? And <laughs> I said, I guess I'm just not that good. And uh, yet today, whether you cheered for Encore or not, 
I'm going to give you a little bit of an encore um, at the end of this, this chapter. I, I had to preach on this because there was something about it. You know, sometimes you read passages of Scripture and there's like the main meal, right? And in Ephesians chapter 6, I think we, we would all agree the body, the armor, the, the, the body armor that Paul talks about, armoring up, the armor of God, um, putting on that armor, that, that's like the main course. Oftentimes we can miss the appetizer or the dessert because we skim over verses and yet there was a couple of verses here that we're about to read that just gripped me big time. And I hope it grips you big time this morning. And so let's get into it together. It says this. This is Paul, the great apostle Paul speaking. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. This is after he encouraged us to put on the full armor of God. And now he's encouraging us in this thing called prayer. This is what ties it all together. It's what makes it work. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. One translation says prayers upon prayers. I love that. Stacking prayers. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And pray also for me. That's why you need to pray for your pastor. We need more prayer than anybody. Pray also for me, Paul's saying, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly, fearlessly as I should. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that today is the day that you've made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we'll be glad in the fact that God, you don't do anything by accident that every single person that is here right now and watching online, that will watch online, every single person in Eureka, in downtown, God, you had a divine appointment with them right now, right here in this moment. So we give you this time. We open our heart to you. We ask that you would use your word to challenge us, to convict us, and the greatest gift to change us to become more like your son, Jesus. Father, I want to lift up the great nation of the United States of America to you. God, I thank you that we have the honor and privilege to live in this great country. God, this country was founded on godly principles and on you. And just like we sang this morning, God, you reign above it all. All the politics, all the things we like, all the things we don't like about what's happening in our country, all the racial tension, all the... Um, political tension, um, all of it, God. You reign above all of it. And so, Father, we pray for our nation right now. We ask that you forgive our land. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. Forgive your church for not, um, not taking your word for what it is, a challenge, a, a commission to bring the gospel to this nation, to live a holy life and an example, to love people the way you love them. God, would you awaken your church? God, would you send revival to this nation? Would you forgive us our sin of turning away from you? We repent, God, and we ask that you would heal our land. Forgive us, God. Heal our land. Send revival on it, God, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, the title of my message this morning is, guess what? Fearlessly. Could you tell I like that word? 
fearlessly. There was just something about that word that Paul used that just jumped out at me. Now, let me, let me just put this in perspective for you. Here's a man that is writing the book of Ephesians to encourage the church in Ephesus, which little did Paul know, thousands of years later would be in your hands today, would be read by your pastor today, would be preached by your pastor today to encourage you. Paul said, I'm an ambassador in chains. He is in prison, chained. Now, now when we think of prison, I don't, I don't want you to think of like Martha Stewart prison. Not, not like prison where, you know, you get some nice food and it's air conditioned and it's nice. It's like some people like going to prison because it's better conditions than what they're living in. And this isn't that kind of prison. Let me give you a description of that prison that Paul was in. It's like a hole that they drilled into the ground, underground, that is dark. There's no windows. And they actually have a hole that they lower food and water into. It is cold. It is damp. It is dreary. Dreary. It is a hopeless place. It is meant to break you. It is meant to break your will. It is meant to uh, literally kill your spirit. And yet Paul is in the middle of being chained in a place like that. And He's not praying, God, would you, he's not asking the church in Ephesus to pray for him that he would be delivered out of this prison. In fact, the opposite. He's actually saying, I'm an ambassador in chains. In other words, that God has given me an assignment that these chains represent. And I'm not chained here just because these people want to keep me in prison because Paul knew something about prison. He had been, this man had been beaten. He had been shipwrecked multiple times. He had been in prison multiple times. And we know that if God wanted to get him out of that prison, he would have got him out of that prison because we know that he was in prison. And him and Silas, when they prayed in Acts chapter 16, that God heard their prayer and he heard their praise. And at midnight, that their prayer and their praise broke something and God shook the ground and the spirit of God shook the ground and their chains fell off and the gates of the prison. So we know that God could deliver him. He knew that God could deliver him and he wasn't asking for prayer to be delivered. He was actually asking for prayer to be fearless, to be bold in what God had called him to do, recognizing that his circumstances weren't holding him back from what God called him to do, that the only thing that could hold him back from doing what God called him to do is this thing called fear. And it struck me so hard, and I started asking, even questioning in my own life, what is in the way between my calling, what God has called me to do, and why I'm not fulfilling that more of that calling is this thing called fear. And so I asked, started asking God, what are the things that I fear in my life? Because here, here's what I want us to get. That word fearless, actually in the Greek, is closer to the word for bold. I want to be bold for Christ. I don't want to hold back. But if we're going to be honest with each other, most of us, and I think, I man, I, I think so much that when we look at the condition of our country, when we look at the condition and the state of marriage, 
In, I'm talking in the church, people. I'm not talking just outside the church. When we look at the state of family, when I, I started doing um, research, looking up statistics on mental health, when I started looking at the state of anxiety, and do you know that anxiety has now become the number one uh, mental health problem in America by far? People at night, they can't sleep because they're stressed out, they're fearful, they're depressed. And so what do we do? We turn to things to help us take the edge off. Just a little drink, pop a little pill, do what we need to do to relax, to take the edge, just to be able to go to sleep. The problem is that might help you get to sleep, but it doesn't help you stay asleep. There's only one thing that does that, and there's this thing called peace. And that peace only comes from being in a right relationship with God. So there's things that the enemy, now Paul just got done talking about that there's the schemes of this adversary, the devil, that is scheming against you, plotting against you. And I believe so much that he has, he, listen, he will allow us to do this in church all day long. We can be bold in here. We can pray in here. We can praise in here. We can preach in here. But try to step out those doors and preach out there, praise out there, pray out there. And let me tell you what's gonna come at you. The enemy is gonna come at you because he wants to use fear over you like a hostage that keeps you imprisoned, not like Paul chained to his calling, but imprisoned to fear. And so if we're gonna be a people that are gonna live fearlessly, we have to fear less. If we're gonna live fearlessly, which I believe God has called every believer. Now, this is not a personality type. Boldness in Christ, let me tell you something, is not a personality type. Now, I realize I am talking to a diverse group of people. Some of you, you're, you're more, more bold than others. And let me just say, some of you can just tone it down a notch. It's okay. Um, you're a little too bold sometimes, and you got to watch and temper that. Some of you, you might be bold when you need to be. Other times you're not. There's some of us that we need to get a little bit more bolder, especially when it comes to things of our faith. And so I believe personally that if we're going to become more bold, if we're going to become this people that live fearlessly, the first thing that we need to do is we need to really address our fears. We need to get real about the fact that all of us, if we're going to be honest with each other, we all fear something. There's something that the enemy is using in your life to hold you back from fully stepping into being bold and courageous into what he's called you to do, being obedient to what he's spoken to you do, being obedient to what his Holy Spirit is leading you to do. And so here's, here's where the journey begins. I love David was such a real man. I believe he's, he's a model. Now, he was not perfect. He messed up, but he was a real man. And he prayed probably one of the most bold prayers that you and I could pray. He prayed this in Psalm 139, 23. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and what? Know, know like where my sin is. Know what I did yesterday. Know what I should do tomorrow. No, no, no. Know my anxious thoughts. What is David saying? 
David is saying, God, you know me better than anyone else. David's actually recognizing something that is important that I think you and I need to recognize, and that is sometimes we don't even know ourselves. We don't know what's going on in here. We feel the fruit of our fear and anxiety. So I'll say this, there's a fear tree. And if I could show you a picture in that fear tree, I believe almost all of our problems are rooted in this thing called fear. Depression is a symptom. Anxiety is a symptom. Fear is a symptom. It's not a thing. It is a symptom of a thing. It is a symptom or the fruit of a fear in our life that sometimes we don't even recognize is there because we're just going on in life and we're, do, we're so busy, busy, busy. We're, we're more busy than we've ever been in the 21st century and yet we should have more free time than we've ever had because we have more things at our disposal yet we keep ourselves busy and we're running. And I believe part of the reason we're running is so that we don't have to stop and pray that prayer of David, search me God, know me. Know my anxious thoughts. And it's so much easier to pop a pill, to take a drink, to do whatever I need to do, to watch something, to ease the discomfort instead of getting to the root of the fear. So I think there's three things that all of us, there's so much more, but I picked three. These three on purpose because I've seen them in my life and I've heard them from countless people. And the first thing is this, that if you're gonna become fearless, you have to allow God to examine. That, that's what he said, examine your anxious thoughts about your past. Too many of us are held hostage by things that have happened to us in the past and we don't even recognize it. So here, here's, here's how it plays out. Maybe something terrible happened to you when you were a child. Maybe you were abused at a young age. And because you were abused at a young age and violated in, in some of the most terrible ways, that, the enemy has used that like a cage over you. And, and it has told you you're worthless. You don't have value. There's something very wrong with you. And, and he has used that to keep you from being afraid of intimacy, trusting other people. And because of that, you're unable to fully step into in boldness what God has called you to, and it is, is messing with your relationships, it's messing with your marriage, it's messing with your friendships, it's even messing with the way that you view God, your past. For some of you, it could be that a teacher told you in the sixth grade, hey, Danik, you're never going to amount to anything. Look, you, you don't do your homework, you're a mess. Whatever it is, I, I've heard people say that one thing somebody said to them at a young age still haunts them, still is like the enemy of their souls using it as a scheme over them to keep, them, keep you and keep me in this cage. Now for me, I'm gonna be very honest with you and bold this morning to say that when my parents divorced at a very young age, there was something that happened in me. The enemy used it as rejection. What's wrong with you? Why don't they want you? What, what, why don't you have any value or worth? Why did they reject you? So I had this gaping insecurity in my life, this, this deep desire and need for acceptance that was not getting fulfilled. And so what did I try to do? I tried to do everything that I could to do the second thing, which is please people. 
So you gotta recognize that there are things that have happened in your past. And when I mean past, I don't just mean 10 years ago. I mean like what could happen yesterday. We don't realize, and that's why Paul is trying to make us aware. He's trying to raise our awareness that, that the enemy is gonna come at you and he's gonna come at me and he's trying to use fear over us. And one of the greatest fears that I believe the enemy will use for you to not be bold in your faith is this thing called people-pleasing. Is that we're so afraid of offending anybody. Man, we live in such a, a touchy-feely age. Man, as a pastor even, I'm afraid hardly to say anything these days because people are going to turn it against you, use it against you. Everything's on YouTube. It's documented online. And, and everybody is so hypersensitive. And, and I understand, listen, we need to... Be cognizant and aware of people's feelings. Don't get me wrong. I hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we should just trample over people. But I believe that for many of us, that's, that's not the problem. The problem is we're not willing to stand up for our faith. How many of you go to work and your coworkers don't even know you're a Christian? How many of your neighbors wouldn't even know if you're saved or not? How many of you have friends who wouldn't even really know that you have faith in Christ and you go to church? How many of us are afraid to pray for somebody, tell somebody about Jesus, share our testimony, invite them to church um, when you hear them going through something instead of just saying, oh, you know, I hope you're doing well, I'll pray for you. How many of you would be willing to just step up and just say, pray, I'm gonna, can I pray for you right now? I believe that so much of what the enemy uses to hold us back is to keep us in this cage of fear of people, what other people will think. How many times, man, I, I've, I've preached my guts out and the Holy Spirit is present at the end of service and it's time to respond to what God just spoke to you and we'll say, hey, come forward, come to the altar, come up for prayer and we stay in our seats because we're afraid if we get up out of them and we go to the front, oh my gosh, somebody's going to see and what will they think of me? How many of us, we're, we're driving too expensive cars, living in too much house, uh, buying too many things just to give this impression on other people that we've got it together, I've got, I've got money, I'm okay, I'm living at a certain status. How many times have we said something trying to be really smart to impress somebody around us? We wear clothes, we do things, say things, put things on social media just because we want people to like us and we want praise from them. And I think that unless the people of God start worrying more about their purpose than pleasing people, unless the people of God start being more concerned about pleasing God than we are about pleasing people, we are in trouble and we are dead in the water already. We need to be fearless. We need to be bold, and yet for too many of us, we're not. If we're going to be honest, I'm not. I'm going to be honest with you. And, you know, last week I, I preached about um, David and Goliath and the Israelites on one side of the battle up on a hill and, and the Philistines on the other side. And the Bible says that they would get together morning and evening, all in their battle gear. They put on the full armor of God, and they'd go out into the battle lines, and they would start doing their battle cry and yeah, banging their spears, banging their chests, and they're getting their swords out. 
And then this giant would come out and he would start hurling insults at the people of God and intimidating them. And they would get all fired up and they would just no. And they'd go back with their tail tucked between their legs. And I started thinking about that. Oh my gosh, it hit me. This is exactly what we're doing in the church. We come to this place and we pray and we shout and we sing praise together about how awesome our God is and how much he reigns and he reigns above it all and he's powerful and we hear messages that, that challenge us and inspire us and at the end of the service, we have prayer. People pray over us. And then we go out those doors and we go to work the next morning. And we keep it to ourselves. We go to the store. We see somebody hurting. We, we know our neighbor is going through something in marriage. And we don't speak up. No. Why? Because we're afraid. We're more afraid of people than we are pleasing God. John 12, 42. Now, this is nothing new, mind you. The Pharisees, this group of people, the religious leaders of the day who were waiting for the Messiah to come, he shows up and is doing miraculous miracles and all these things, and yet they're having trouble believing him, and it's actually following the scripture that they know. There's all these prophecies about Jesus, and he shows up and he's fulfilling them, and yet they're denying them. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they were too afraid of losing their social status. There were even some of them that believed and wanted to believe, but they couldn't let themselves. If you could put that scripture up. It says this in John 12, 42. Yet at the same time, talking about these Pharisees, many even among the leaders believed in him, meaning Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, people, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. And I'm afraid that for too many of us, we could preach on how Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He's given us a calling. He has got plans for us to do. We could get on the armor of God and we can never fully step into it because as soon as we step out into it, our enemy comes in like a flood and says, I'll let you come to church and I'll let you do this and hoop or haw and all in here, all you want. You come every day of the week. You come morning and evening if you want. But don't you dare step out those doors and come on my territory because when you come on my ter territory, now you pick the fight. And I'm telling you, if you didn't hear anything last week, it's time to pick a fight. There's sometimes, there's sometimes you turn a cheek, there's sometimes you turn a table. The third thing is this, Problems. The enemy will use problems in your life to put fear on you. Now, what I'm talking about here is something that I've seen in my own life. This, there are certain things that are out of our control, and there are certain things that are in our control. Too many times, I have not taken care of things in my life and neglected them, and they've become a problem because I haven't been diligent, I haven't been faithful with an area in my life and this could be spiritually, it could be practically, and because I'm not taking care of things in my life, they become a problem, and then the enemy uses the, those problems as a cage of fear over our life. Let me give you an example. I don't pay my bills. I don't pay my electric bill. I don't pay it for two months. 
all of a sudden you're home like I was last night and it's hot and your electric goes off, it gets cut off. That's a problem. And now, because you, you, you allowed that, you weren't diligent in that problem, now the enemy is holding over you fear of, man, I failed, I blew it, I messed up. Here, here's, a, here's a bigger one. You start to feel something, a pain in your side. And you say, ah, oh, no, it's just a little pain, it's no big deal, and so you keep going on. And, and, but in the back of your mind, the enemy starts coming in and telling you, ooh, that could be really bad. Remember your friend who started with a pain there and, and he ended up with liver cancer and he died? That could be you. And he starts to put fear over you so you don't go to the doctor because you're too afraid because you don't want to know the, what the possibilities could be. And so instead of addressing the problem, you shy away from it because of fear. Some of us, we've been too afraid in our marriages. We know something's not quite right. But we're afraid to really address it because we're afraid of what that might mean for our marriage or what it might mean for us. And so the enemy keeps us in fear of addressing it. We've got something, uh, there's this, something isn't right in a relationship, a key relationship in your life. Something isn't right in the church and the, there's a problem. And yet, because we're not willing to address it and trust God with that problem, no matter the outcome, the enemy uses it like a cage of fear. And let me tell you that, that God has not given us a spirit of fear. I love this scripture in 2 Timothy 1.7. As Paul was trying to pass on, he's in chains again. He's in prison. And he's trying to encourage young leader Timothy. And, and this man, he, he tends to be, we gather from scripture, a little timid. Not forthcoming. Probably he's called as a leader to address some things in the church that he's not addressing. And Paul knows this is going to be a problem for you unless you get some boldness in you. And I don't think it was just for Timothy. I think it's for us right here today. Every single one of us. He said, for the Spirit of God does not give us a, or make us timid. Paul's reminding him, timidity, fear, that doesn't come from God. That is not from God. So any area in your life that you're fearful, that you're anxious, I want to hear you to hear this clearly. It is not from God. God did not give that to you. There's only one source that that comes from. It's his greatest weapon, and that's the enemy. That is Satan himself. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. But what did he give you? Let me tell you what he's given you, because it is amazing. He's given you power. If you are a Jesus-following, surrendered to God, a son or daughter of the Most High, he's put his Holy Spirit inside of you. We read in Ephesians that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in you. That means you've got a power source. You've got more power. You are, have more power in you than you actually know. But the problem is we don't tap into it because we stay in this cage of fear. He's also given us love. Love, perfect love casts out all fear. This is the love that I was talking about this morning where, where in the Bible it says that, that, that God put a banner over you, a label. Do you know what God's label over you? Do you know how he sees you when he looks at you? There's this banner that everywhere you go, any place you are, that all the time there is this banner of you of love and acceptance. You're my son. This is why Paul made it clear that God adopted us as sons and daughters. I love that he adopted us because that means he chose you. When you adopt somebody, you say, 
I want that one. She's mine. He's mine. I'll take him. And I love the fact that our God doesn't adopt the perfect people in the world. That God, he, he adopted the broken. I am so grateful that God adopted this broken young man at 20 years old. That he said, you're mine. My banner over you is love. You are loved. You are called. You're my son. And I'm going to touch you. I'm going to change your life forever. And it's never going to be the same. But I've got to remove some fear off you. And for me, it's experiencing and encountering. That's why Paul said, you got to not just know the love of God. You've got to encounter the love of God. It can't be just head knowledge. You have to experience it. When you experience it, it sets you free of love, power, of power, love, excuse me, and a sound mind. Do you know that when we try to please other people, this is so fascinating to me. I, I love Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's done a lot of research. She is a, a, neuro, a Christian neuroscience scientist, and she's done a lot of research on the brain and how it works with the Bible. And it's just amazing to me. But, but she says that when we are trying to be accepted by other people, what happens is we try to become something that God didn't make us to be. We step out of our true identity and our true self, and we put on a false self and a false identity. So that means we could come to church and be one person, and we could go to work and be somebody else. We could be out with our friends and be somebody else. And when we're with our wife or family, we're somebody else. And what happens is, it, it, it's like James says, you become a double-minded person. And this messes with your um, mental health and well-being because you're like living two double lives. You're not fully living in the calling and your true nature and identity in Christ. And it, and it, and it weighs on you and pulls on you. And James said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And we have to recognize, man, I am tired of living a double life. God, I want to live a life of integrity. Integrity means wholeness, that I'm the same person I am in church as I am at work. I'm the same person as I am around my family as when I'm out with the fellas. I love, what, I love Mark Batterson. I love his writings. He's an amazing author, amazing pastor. I love what he says in his book, All In, he says this. I love this quote. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not hiding the fort. Faithfulness is not, I'm sorry, holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical. It's normal. See, we got to readjust it's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all. I love that line. Jesus didn't die to keep you safe. He died to make you dangerous. And yet if we're going to be honest with each other, too many of us are living it and playing it safe. We're praying safe prayers. This is a bold prayer that Paul is praying. And too many times, think about it, our, our, most of our prayers, if we're going to be honest with each other, they're around our own safety, our own comfort. God, God help me. God, bless this Chick-fil-A meal with the waffle fries and, and the amazing frosted lemonade after. God, would you please heal my, my kitty? 
heal my kitty. My kitty had a little diarrhea last night. God, would you just heal kitty? Let, let me tell you something. God doesn't want to just heal your kitty. He wants to turn you into a lion. He wants to get boldness back in our prayers. And so real quick, I've got four things that I think we need to do. And the first thing is this. We need to pray up. Pray up. What I mean by that is too many of our prayers are too low. We're, we're praying on too low of a level. We're praying on too earthly a level. We got to raise the expectation of our prayers because we're not just praying to some Buddha statue. We are praying to Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. We're praying to the God of miracles. We're praying to the God that if you read this book, these aren't just some nursery rhymes or some fairy tales that we teach kids with little felt things in, in Bible school. These are actual historical events of how God moved miraculously on people's lives, changed them, turned the world upside down. And yet we're too afraid to tell anybody about it. We have got the greatest story in the world. The greatest story in the world right in our hands, and most of us don't even open it up to read about it, yet talk about it. We need to pray up. We need to raise the level of our prayers. This all starts in the upper room. All of it starts in the upper room. You, you, there was men and women that were afraid the Bible says that after Jesus died, they didn't know what to do. Jesus gave them this unbelievable commission. Let me tell you something. If you're, doing, if you're not doing something in your life right now for Christ that doesn't scare you to death, then you're praying too low. Man, it should, there's sometimes that it shakes me to get up here and preach to you like this. There's some times that it shakes me that, that, that God has given me some visions. I mean, you heard about what we're doing in Evergreen Junior High. It shakes me. There's been times where we almost lost the church in Eureka if it wasn't for faithful people there. And God gave us a vision, and it scares the heck out of me. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to, how to plant a church in Eureka. Don't know how to do that. But God does. And we got to act in faith and step out and pray up. Pray big, bold, audacious prayers in faith. Because that's the God we serve. I wonder if God is insulted by the level of our prayers. We say we're waiting on God and, and we're waiting on revival. What if God is waiting on us? What is he waiting on us to step up and to get bold and be fearless and live fearlessly and start proclaiming the gospel? Just like Paul said, I'm in chains, but my chains cannot hold me back. Do you know what he did while he was chained? This is so cool. They would, they would um, one time he was in house arrest in Rome and he was chained to a guard 24 seven. So he said, all right, this is how you want to roll? This is how you want to get me? I'll teach you. And he got in that guard's ear and he would proclaim the gospel boldly. I'm telling you, and guess what? They started getting saved. How do we know this? Because we know that even in Nero's own household, the very enemy, Rome, that was trying to kill Paul, suppress Paul, keep the message from spreading, spread in his own home and into his own family. And those family members were getting saved. Someday the whole nation of Rome would turn and make Christianity. It, it's... It's religion for the nation. But it would never have happened if Paul was, oh, I guess I'm in chains and I can't really do anything for Christ. 
We think our circumstance, listen, some of you think your circumstances are holding you back from fulfilling your calling, and God is saying, no, why don't you just do something with your circumstances and start using them for, for the calling right now and stop looking at it as a limitation and start using it as, as a proclamation that God is with me. He hasn't left me. He hasn't forsaken me. He's not only going to get me out of this. I mean, Paul said, you know what? I don't know what's better for me if I die in these chains or if I continue on. He's like, it'd be better for me to just go to heaven right now and call it good. Peace out, Paul out, I did my part, I'm good. But he said, it's actually better for you if I stay because I'm gonna continue to preach the gospel boldly. Look at this. But you will receive, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus was telling him something that you and I need to be reminded of, that we will never be able to step into what God has told us to in obedience without the power to do it. God just doesn't tell you to do something. He actually gives you the power to do it. Isn't that pretty awesome? But it starts in the upper room, and too many of us, we're not going to that room. We're playing around in all the other rooms, the entertainment room, the man cave room, the living room, the bedroom, but we're not going to the upper room. I think it's time for the church to go back to the upper room, to that place of prayer. It says the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, all of them, all the disciples together in verse 14. And they all joined together constantly in prayer. Prayer is your power source. When we take time now, I know some of you, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I've struggled at times in my life in my own personal prayer time. I have to sometimes make myself get on my knees, make myself take a break. There's times where I've, I've gone to the bathroom just to pray a little bit because I need it. I don't mean like gone, I don't mean to give you that anymore. I just go to the bathroom. I'm not going to the bathroom, but you know what I mean. I'm going there to get away, to find a place of prayer. And the point is that every one of us, we need to find that place. We need to find, find your upper room. Where's your upper room? Is your closet? Is your car? I don't know where it is for you. But we need to go back to the upper room. That's the place of power. And let me tell you, I, I think, man, I feel the Holy Spirit just reminded me that in, in Kings, I think it's 1 Kings 17, that when Elijah, there was a widow who had one son, and the son got sick, and he started having trouble breathing to the point where he died, and the widow came to Elijah and said, what has God done to me? And Elijah said, give me the boy. And she put the boy in Elijah's hands, and what it says is that Elijah went up to the upper room and he laid the boy down and he laid on him and it says that he spread his arms out like this and he said three times three times he spread his arms out like this on the boy remind you of anything three times he breathed on him it's a picture of the cross 
I believe fear is like a disease like this boy had that slowly constricts you from the life of God. It will, it will squeeze out the life of God. And it is the upper room. It's in the upper room, the place where the Holy Spirit comes on you because of what Jesus did on the cross. Three times laid out the cross of Jesus. He died, he was buried, and he rose again in power and the same resurrection life and power. Now God breathes in you in the upper room and he brings it to life. God told me there's some of you, you've got dead dreams. There's things inside of you that are dead spiritually that God wants to breathe in you, but the only place it's gonna happen is when you go to the upper room. When you decide, I don't care who sees me, I, I'm gonna be bold, I'm gonna go to that place to the upper room. The second thing is this, you need to speak up. Speak up. Too many of us, it's almost like we've been censored by the devil, that he's put a piece of masking tape over our mouth. God has done some amazing things in your life, in my life. And who do we tell about it? There's power in a testimony. Do you know that there are people waiting to hear your testimony? Your testimony is the things that God has done for you, through you, in your life. Some of us in this room, and, and some of you know what I'm talking about, we wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for the grace of God. We wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't the power of God in our, working in our life. Come on, am I speaking to the right people this morning? But because of it, I gotta speak out, I gotta declare it, I gotta tell people. Look what happens after the upper room, there were these, these men that were scared for their lives, scared to death with the commission and the calling that God gave them. And they went from being fearful to bold. Watch this, Acts chapter two, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11 and did what? He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you this. Listen carefully to what I have to say. And he goes on to present the gospel. And you know what they say? You know what their response is? See, the enemy will use fear on you to think, if I share this with anybody, they're going to think I'm some Jesus freak. I'm a weirdo. They're not going to want to hear it. And they looked at them and say, tell us what we need to do. There are people waiting for you to speak up and, and when you do, they will say, tell me what I need to do. And Peter says, you need to repent and be baptized. And it says that 3,000 came to faith in Christ that day because one man was willing to step up after he prayed up and he was willing to speak out. Paul would say this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We're missing out on the power. We have the power to change lives if we would just speak out. So what does that look like? Somebody in your office, they're struggling with something. Speak out. Say, hey, I heard about your, your, your problem. Could I pray for you? And by the way, can I tell you that I know the greatest problem solver in the history of the world. His name's Jesus. And if you'll just surrender your problem to him and let me pray for you and you'll receive him right now, he can change your life right here, right now. How many of us just need that boldness? Come on, to speak out. I'm tired of holding back. When God has called us to speak out, the third thing is we need to help out. Help up. Help up. What do you mean by that, Pastor Lance? Now, Peter and John, they would experience this. 
and they were walking to the temple, the Bible says, for time of prayer. And as they're walking to church, they're going by somebody in need, a lame man who's on the ground. And he's asking them for alms. He's asking them for help. He's asking them for a handout. And there's times when we need to help somebody physically, no doubt, just like we're doing at Evergreen Junior High. But there's times that you need to give a handout. There's times when you need to help up somebody, that they're too broken, they're too addicted, too lost, too suicidal, too depressed, too anxious. We, the people of God, need to be filled up. We need to be prayed up so we're filled up with the spirit and power of God and that God is speaking to us. And, and, and we need to speak up, but we also need to help up. And it says, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. See, too many of us, the devil is using the things that we don't have to hold you in fear that I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. I don't know enough Bible. I don't know, I even know how to pray. I don't know how to help somebody else. And because of that, he's holding you as a hostage to fear so that you never help somebody else out. And people need to hear your testimony. They need to hear your story. They need to hear about what God has done in your life and they need you to help them because they need help just like we needed help. And I thank God that there were people in my life that helped me up when I was too broken to get up on my own. And it says, taking him by the right hand signifies power and strength in the Lord. He helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. The last thing is this, and we're done. We need to raise up. We need to raise up. What do you mean by that, Pastor Lance? Now you would think that two guys, right immediately after this, this man got miraculously healed and there's a fuss going on in the crowd because of this man getting healed and it stirs up commotion and, and Roman officers come and they arrest, they arrest Peter and John. Put them in, they, they beat them and put them in prison. And then, and then they bring them before the Sanhedrin. Those, those are the people that were judging them and judging their fate. And they could have even been executed. And instead of shrinking back, they were even more bold. It says in Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, that word courage is boldness. When they saw the boldness, the fearlessness, the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus in the upper room. That word, I love that word ordinary, is the Greek word for that is like idiosirzo, something like that. It means literally idiots. They were, they were idiots filled with the Spirit of God. Bold. I almost call the title of this message Bold Idiots. Because really, they didn't know what they were doing, but they knew the one who did. So they prayed and something got in them and they didn't know what to say, but they had this boldness, this courage. And check this out, when they were released, from prison because they didn't know what to do with these guys. When they were released from prison, it says in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together 
in prayer to God and listen to their prayer. Their prayer wasn't this, oh God, keep Peter and John safe. God, keep us safe in this home. Help us not to go out and, and to get beaten and to be thrown in jail and for our lives to, to be taken from us. Please keep us from that, God. Keep us safe, keep us comfortable, provide food for us. That wasn't their prayer. It says they raised their voices. This is where we need to raise our prayers. God, that you would, listen to what they prayed. This is what they did pray. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, you're all powerful. Verse 25, uh, he says that now, or verse 29 rather, skipping down there. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, to heal and perform signs and wonders through your name, your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. What? Boldly, fearlessly, with courage. And that's what I believe God has called us to do. And let me tell you, even right here in our midst, even last week, there was a word of knowledge. Somebody, because they prayed, praying they, they were prayed up. They felt like God was speaking that somebody had pain in their knee. And that word came forth. And there was a man who came forward for prayer with pain in his knee. And God touched him and healed him miraculously. And on it gets better. There was a lady in our Eureka campus. Her mom died of liver cirrhosis because of alcoholism her whole life. It got generationally passed to her. She struggled with alcoholism her whole life. She came forward for prayer at the end of a service just like this. She said, enough is enough. I'm not letting fear hold me back anymore. It's time to take a bold step of faith and step forward. And I need prayer. I need help. I need somebody to help me up. She came forward and she prayed with one of our elders in this church, him and his wife, and they prayed over her. She didn't feel that different that day. She was encouraged. She wiped away the tears from her eyes. And in the spite of fear, she left, knowing that when she would go to the grocery store, she'd walk down the aisle with alcohol. It was always like a pull on her, drawing her to it. She said for the first time in her life, she walked down that aisle and she didn't feel anything. Completely free of alcoholism. Sober three months now. God is touching her, healing her. We had a small group who'd been studying about um, the miracles of God and the gifts of God. And they decided we're not going to just talk about it in our small group. We're actually going to go out in the community and do that. And so their small group went out into the community last week, last Saturday, and prayed. And 13 people got touched by God and healed by God in some way. This is the power. And when you step out in boldness and in faith and fearlessly, Say, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll, I'm all in. I don't want anything holding me back. Search me. Examine me. Know what's in my heart. Why am I fearful? For some of you, that means you're going to have to get real about that. You're going to have to pray that bold prayer and mean it. And you're going to have to go after it with God. Some of you, you're just going to have to just step out and start praying up. Pray more. Find your upper room. Find that place where as you pray, the presence of God fills you up and empowers you. Some of you need to start speaking up. 
Some of you need to start helping up. Get out of yourself, get out of your comfort zone, get out of what's convenienced you and do something to help somebody else up. And lastly, as a church, man, I wanna say this, let's raise up. Come on, let's raise up a standard. Our standard has been too low, I believe. Let's raise up a new standard. Let's raise up a standard of prayer that says, God, we're not settling for second best. We're not settling for plan B. We're going all in for you. So come on, let's pray together right now. Jesus, say this with me. Jesus, thank you for making me bold. Today, I commit to you to go all in. Search me and know my fears so that I can be free to fully step into what you've called me to. Be obedient to your word. Now I want to pray for those of you, maybe today you're here in your bold step of faith. Maybe in Eureka, maybe you're watching online, your bold step of faith is to say, Pastor Lance, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to recommit my life to Jesus. Today's your day. Today is not a day to be timid. It's not a day to think about it in your seat. Today is a day to say boldly, I'm not holding back. I'm all in. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Just say to me, to God, today, I'm going bold. I'm going all in. I don't want to be held back. God bless you. Come on, anybody else. I feel there's some in Eureka. There's some watching online. Your campus pastor there will help you. But I want to pray for you. Say this prayer with me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you now. Will you come into my life? Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. And fill me with your spirit. That I may be bold for you. In Jesus' mighty name. Now stand to your feet, church. Let's sing this with boldness. Let's sing it with power. Let's speak it up. Let's declare it. Let's, let's let the enemy know. Let's put him on notice. You're not holding me back anymore. I'm stepping out of my fear. I'm stepping into the calling of God. I'm going to live fearlessly. I'm going to praise fearlessly. I'm going to speak fearlessly. I am fearlessly made and wonderfully made. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.